0: Well, I invite you to take uh, your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, We're going to be reading uh, verses 14 through 17 this morning as we continue uh, in this series that uh, the Spirit of God has allowed us to go into. Uh, that we have titled the Bible, A Book Like No Other. And so, let's read together, uh, beginning in verse number 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. By the way, you got three of those solas that I gave you. You remember the solas where we talked about the five solas of the Reformation? Three of them right there. Sola Scriptura, Sola Christ is Christ alone, and uh, Sola Fiti, faith alone. Uh, But anyway, he goes on in verse 16, he says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is the Word of God. Of the Lord. The Bible. The book that you hold in your hand or you've got it pulled up on your tablet or your phone this morning. The Bible. It is a book like no other. No other. Such a privilege to be able to hold it in your hand. It's interesting though, one man can read the Bible and he does not see the worth of it. He sees it as a book to be burned like trash. Others read through the pages of the Bible and they find it to be such a precious treasure that they themselves would allow themselves to be burned to keep the Bible and preserve the Bible and make sure the Bible um, is available so that people can hear and read what God has said. Now, I pray that every one of you is that latter person I've described, that you will be a person like that. And it is my desire for you it's my desire because it's God's desire I believe in this. It, my desire is I desire that you will walk away from these teachings on the Bible. You will walk away from these teachings with your minds informed and your heart this is the important part. I don't want just your minds informed, but that your heart would be warmed by the 66 books and the 66 books alone that make up the canon of Scripture, that make up this book we call the Bible. I pray that you will, in seeing the significance of this book, you won't neglect it. It won't collect dust on your nightstand. That you will tap on the app that you have on your tablet for the Bible. You'll read it. You'll, it'll, it'll become um, an integral part of your spiritual journey. Now the Bible... Let me clarify some things before we get in our text this morning. The Bible is not a document of rules and regulations, although there are rules and regulations that are there. The Bible is not a document for mere intellectual Stimulation. Though the Bible will take our finite minds and it will wrap it or them around infinite truths so much that we'll feel like our brains are going to explode at times. The Bible is not... Simply a primary source document for a world history class. Though the Bible is the most expansive historical narrative available as a primary source document to you. It's not just simply for that. This book. This book, the Bible. This book that is a book like no other. This book is a document to be savored. It's a book to be stored in in memory. It's a book to be studied. And the reason why it is a book to be savored and studied and stored in memory is because the primary main objective of this book called the Bible is the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. That Jesus is the main storyline of the entire book of the Bible. That's who it's centered around. That's who it's all about. So I ask that you please hear me. In this series of messages, it is not my intention to cause you to fall in love with your Bible. Listen to me. It is not my intention for you to fall in love with your Bible. You say, What do you mean by that, Pastor? You seem like you're being self contradictory now this morning. Now listen to me carefully. If you fall in love with your Bible, you will read it and you will study it, but you will miss the point. You'll miss it. You'll miss it. You'll miss it. You'll make guess what? You'll you will you will miss it and make an idol out of the Bible and worship the Bible rather than the God it testifies to. So you must be careful. You see, you'll become like an Old Testament Pharisee. Oh, they loved the Old Testament Torah. They had it committed mostly to memory. They studied the Old Testament Torah. They were authorities on the Old Testament Torah. They knew the Old Testament Scriptures, yet those Scriptures testified of Christ and they missed the point. They refused to come to Christ. So I don't want you to to go to the book and love the book within itself. I want you to go to the book that, that you will treasure Jesus Christ. That's why. I want you to study That's why I want you to savor it. That's why I want you to commit it to memory. That you'll treasure Jesus. You'll savor Jesus. You'll exalt Jesus. You'll exalt in Jesus. You'll be consumed with Jesus. Because the Bible is consumed with Jesus. I have failed you as a pastor if you go to the Bible for any other reason other than that. If you walk away from this series of messages with any other ideology in your heart other than being consumed with Jesus Christ. Because every single part of this book, every doctrine that it. Teaches every command that it gives, every sin that is rebuked, it is all about making much of Jesus who is Christ and Lord. That is what it's about. Now, so far on this journey, uh, we started out in this passage we read this morning, and I simply wanted to spend that morning extracting the truth that all Scripture, all Scripture, the 66 books of Scripture, have been breathed out by God. We labored under that. I wanted you to know that. And then we bounced last week out of our base of operations if you will here in second Timothy and we went to the 12th psalm and i wanted you to understand that the bible as a book has been refined and preserved throughout history and that you have In this document, in the 66 books of the Bible, you have exactly what the sovereign God of all creation intended you to have. There's no lost book of the Bible. There are other books, but they weren't contained in Scripture. And it's not because God let it slip through His hands or because some church council decided what was and what is. But what is here is because God is sovereign over it all, working out through men and their decisions. The books He wanted, here is the standard. So I don't want you to think God's holding out on you. I don't want you to think that you haven't got everything you need to treasure Jesus Christ maximally. You've got everything you need. Here, it's here, it's here. It's here, you've got it. To treasure Christ. Now, This morning what I want to do is immerse ourselves again in our text here, our base of operations, as I like to call it. And I want us to consider some of the purposes for which the Scriptures have been breathed into being and given to us finite humans. I want us to think about The purposes that some purposes that God has ordained behind breathing this document into being, purposes that can be gleaned from the text that we read, and then, Lord willing, next week we'll come back to this passage and we'll look at some of the the utility of this scripture. In other words, the ways that can be practically used in our life and practice. But today I want you to see some of the purposes or the profitability of the Scriptures. The way, in other words, the way, it's the way in which God, as He breathed it out, He purposed it. It's the way He ordained it. He purposed it to function in our lives. Number one, this morning. Coming from verses 14 and 15. The Bible has a God-centered purpose. The Bible has a God-centered purpose. Now, although the Bible is given to us and it speaks to us, it's not about us, it's about Him. It's about His, capital H-I-S, His story. Okay, it's about Him. But when we look at verses 14 and 15, we get a narrow slither, a picture, of part of His story as it is communicated to us through the Scriptures. We see in verses 14 and 15 that Timothy experienced this God-centered purpose of the Bible. The God-centered purpose that he experienced is the revelation of God Himself, specifically how he learned about God and the salvation that God provides through the Scriptures. You see, The text says he learned it. He was acquainted with it. He learned. He firmly believed what he had learned and how these things were able to make him wise for salvation through Jesus Christ. You see, as Timothy was acquainted with the Scriptures, as you become acquainted with the Scriptures, the Scripture begins to unveil some things that apart from the Scriptures we do not know. You don't just sit at home and... Sit around and have a round table discussion and come up with these things. These are begun in God. And God unveils a few things as you become acquainted with the Scripture. God unveils Himself, some things about Himself. okay, and As He unveils things about Himself, He unveils things about us. And as He unveils things to us about us, as we become acquainted with the Scriptures, we realize how we are sinful. We realize how we are totally corrupt. We realize how since the fall of man, apart from a divine miracle, we are going to hell. Plain and simple. Because of who we are. But in the Gospel, it unveils because in in unveiling those things it specifically unveiled god in the person of jesus christ to timothy and how salvation is found by faith alone in christ alone that's the connection i want you to see in verses 14 and 15 that god-centered purpose and that god-centered purpose leads to the bleeds into the second purpose that I want you to see because it has a God-centered purpose and it unveils all of these things, some of which are about us and our relation to God. It has a gospel-centered purpose, which would be number two. It has a gospel-centered purpose. Everything we learn about God in the Scriptures leads us to the gospel of salvation that He provides. The Scriptures, the text says, made Timothy wise unto salvation. This is the way God, listen, this is the way it is. This is the way God works in the lives of sinners to call them and bring them to Himself. It's the way that God does this. We see this in the Scripture. Let me give you some examples in these sacred writings, the Bible, that we call the Word of God. I want you to see this at work, the role that it plays Um, in uh, the gospel role that it plays that that Timothy is talking about right over here. Look, for example, over in Romans chapter 10. In Romans chapter 10, um, beginning in verse number 14. Well, I'll start in verse 13. Everybody loves verse 13 because it is a gospel truth. He says, Paul wrote this, he said, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 14, he says, "...how then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him whom they have never heard?" And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel or the good news. The euangelion it is in the Greek. But they have not obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord who has believed what he has heard from us. Verse 17. Very important. He goes on he says, so faith comes from hearing, and hearing the Word of Christ. He's not talking about the Word who is Christ, he said of hearing, hearing the Word of Christ. The Word of Christ, the Word of Christ, and you have the Word of Christ contained in the Scriptures that testify to the living Word who saves, okay? You see, you see, there is a connection there. If you look over in the book of Ephesians, in the book of Ephesians, chapter number 1, in verse 13, in verse 13, Paul writes the Ephesian church, he reminds them of a Important truth. He says this, in Him, talking about in Christ, in Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. There is a connection there. If you go to the book of Acts, turn to the book of Acts, Chapter number 2. Verse 41 is significant. In verse 41 of Acts chapter 2, this is what the text says. So, those who received His word. Whose word? Peter's word. Those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Wow. Now, what word was Peter preaching? Well, obviously, Peter was preaching the living Word, who is Christ. But what was he preaching the living Word, who is Christ, from? If you digress back up into chapter number 2 of the book of Acts, you see that Peter, for example, in verse number 16, was, says, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. So what's he doing? He's preaching from Joel chapter 2. If you progress on down to about verse number 25, it said, For David says concerning him, and he begins to quote, from Psalm chapter 16, verse number 8, 9, 10, and 11. So Peter was preaching about this Jesus whom they had crucified, but who is now alive, who is both Lord and Christ, and he's preaching about this living word Christ based on the testimony of the written word that you see in Joel and in Psalm 16 here and as he preached the word about 3,000 were added that day why it is the scriptures that make one wise unto salvation the scriptures are gospel saturated guys this is why I love a ministry like the Gideon ministry What do they do? They simply deposit the Word of God into the hands of people. Because it is God's Word that makes men wise unto salvation. It's not who can develop the cutest little track and put the cutest little system of trying to help people understand something in plain terms. And I put quotes around that. Because the power is in the script. It's the Scriptures that make one wise unto salvation. It's not our schemes and our strategies. It's the Scripture. It's the Bible. It's the Scripture. Sola Scriptura. Scripture alone. When a man stands to preach, it is the Scriptures he must preach and teach. It is not his power of oratory. It is not his skill at giving the cutest illustration. It is the Word of God that has been breathed out that has an irresistible power to it in the life of the sinner on whom the Holy Spirit is working. It's not that guy, it's him. Who operates through His Word. Do you understand that? It is the Bible. It is the Bible. Now, the Scriptures make one wise unto salvation. They are God-centered. They are Gospel-centered. But the story of salvation does not end with a ticket to heaven. It doesn't stop there salvation's not merely about escaping hell. If that's all your understanding is of salvation, then you have a very americanized understanding. Because that notion is just was made in america. That wasn't made in the scriptures. Yes, when you're saved, you're going to heaven. Yes, when you're saved, you're escaping the wrath of God in hell. But that's not what it's all about. That's not the, the end of it. The salvation that the Gospel brings is the salvation of the whole man. It justifies. Makes us positionally just as if we've never sinned. Now we usually just stop there. But it also the gospel it sanctifies that is it takes those sinners that were that were dead in their sins and in their trespasses that looked like the enemy within their hearts and it begins to mold them and shape them some people slowly some people faster than others but he begins to conform us to the image and likeness of Jesus Christ that's what sanctification is and it is a part of the gospel. It's not some second work of the Spirit. It's not some secondary optional thing you do. It is a result of the seed of the Holy Spirit being planted within you by the hand of sovereign grace. And you will begin to see that seed take sprout. And you will begin to reflect The image and likeness of Jesus. That's why in John it says, He in whose God's seed abides cannot continue in sin. That not that doesn't mean you don't ever sin, or that would contradict some of the rest of 1 John, but what that's saying is is that it will that will not be your primary characteristic. That will not be your lifestyle. That will not you you may sin, but you're going to be brought to repentance. You're going to be continually brought to repentance. Your life is a life of repentance as Martin Luther said. But you can't just relax and embrace it until the day you die. You're being in a process of sanctification. And then what does the Gospel do? It ultimately glorifies you. That's part of the Gospel. That's the guarantee of the Gospel. You will be glorified. When you see Him, you shall be like Him. That's when you are in His perfect image and likeness. That's the product of salvation. Becoming just like Jesus in His humanity. Not His deity. Becoming, remember Christ called the second Adam. You are becoming the Adam that you were intended to be before the first Adam fell. Without a nature stained with sin. My voice went high. I must be going through puberty again. (laughs) That is the essence of all of salvation. Christ like in final product. We are not yet perfectly like Him, but everything in our present life experience, if we have received the gospel, it is molding us into His image. So I'm saying that to say this. When Paul writes Timothy and says the Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, he also means they offer wisdom for growing into that image. Which brings me to the third purpose. The third purpose that we see in the Scriptures is that the Bible is written to glorify God and satisfy saints. You say, help me understand what you mean by that, Pastor. We see it in verses 16 and 17. Let me help you understand this for a moment. Salvation is growing into the likeness of Christ. And the more we reflect the likeness of Christ, the more we glorify God. And the more we glorify God, the more we are satisfied with who we are in Christ. Now, Verse 16 in our text says that the Scriptures train us in righteousness. It's what the text says. Well, what is righteousness? Well, it is to reflect He who is right. Who is He that is right? Well, the Scriptures say that the Bible calls Jesus Christ the Righteous One. The righteous one. Verse 17 goes on to say, This is so that we would be complete. Artios, it is in the Greek, complete, meaning perfect. It trains us up in righteousness that we would be perfect. And we know we're not going to be perfect until the end of sanctification when we're glorified. But everything in the Bible is written to help make us wise for growing into that image. The Bible says it equips us. Ecartizo. That is, it equips us. Making it, 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 meaning that it furnishes us with what we need to finish this race perfectly and be perfect at the end. Okay. It is through the Bible and the Holy Spirit that you, as Paul would tell us in Philippians chapter 2 about verse number 11, that you work out, not for, not for, you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Although the whole time it is God, he says in the next verse, that works in you for His good purpose. <laughs> I like that. Now, These things are true. It is through the Bible and the Holy Spirit that you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And so I want to I end today by showing you, giving you some samples of how the Scriptures do just that. How they help us in this sanctification process. So we've seen that... The Bible is God-centered in purpose. We've seen that that leads to it being gospel-saturated or gospel-centered in purpose. And they make us wise unto salvation. They equip us for righteousness and will help us to be complete in the end because... What does it do? It gives us wisdom on how to glorify God in our conduct. And as we glorify God, we will be satisfied in Him. Therefore, I say, the Bible was written for God-glorifying and saint-satisfying purposes. Now, let me show you some of these. The Bible is like a lamp. Okay? functions like a lamp. That will glorify God and satisfy us. We say, what do you mean? Don't you know? In Psalm 119, verse 105, it talks about how the Bible is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. Well, since the fall of man in the garden, this world has been in spiritual darkness. To go into this world without a light would be like driving up Colbert Mountain with no headlights on on a moonless night. Where might you end up, Ken? In a ditch. A deep ditch. One in which you might fall to your death. So there are dangers that are out there in darkness. And in spiritual darkness, they are a thousand times more dangerous. The context of Psalm 119 and verse 105 is the light of truth to avoid false ways. Psalm 104, just above it, is where we discover the word the psalmist gains, where he gains understanding and hates every false way. To hate what is false is to love what is true. And the perfect embodiment of truth is Jesus Christ, who said, I am the truth. So it leads us and is a light unto our path to where we become a greater lover of the person of Jesus Christ. The Bible is like... Purified water for us. Another way. If you you look over in Ephesians chapter number 5. In Ephesians number 5, beginning in verse number 25 of Ephesians 5. He says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her that He might sanctify her, and this He's talking about the church now, that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the Word, so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor without spot, wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. That, my friend, is talking about practical holiness not positional and that the water of the word can help us in some spiritually dynamic way become more holy and like Jesus Christ All I want you to see from that text, I want you to see is that the Word of God is designed by God to cleanse out the filth of our character and make us cleaner, crisper reflections of Jesus. The Word plays this role in our lives until Jesus comes back for His church. So please, do not neglect God's Word. Another... God-glorifying, saint-satisfying purpose in the Scriptures that help make us complete, that equip us um, as if the Bible is like a a mirror. Not one with smudges and fingerprints on it, but like a a nice Windex mirror. Okay? Um, We read this over in the book of James. Over in the book of James, chapter number 1. Beginning in in verse number 22, James says, "...but be doers of the Word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror." For he looks at himself and goes away at once forgetting what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, where is the law written? It's in the Scriptures. Looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer of who acts, he will be blessed in all his doings. You see... When we open up the pages of the Bible, one of the uncanny functions of the Bible, this book, is that it's like staring in a mirror. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when you stare in a mirror, you don't always like what you see. I know that when I was, you know, in in my 30s, I didn't like standing in front of a mirror and holding up a mirror where I could see the back. And I saw hair disappearing. I didn't like that. Still don't really like that. Sometimes I miss my hair. That's why I wear a hat a lot. I gotta keep my brain warm. Try to wear those hats that have an Alabama A on it, not one of those scarves like Sherry has that has an LSU Tiger on it. Uh, But anyway, in all seriousness though, The Bible has a way of exposing the imperfections in our character. Things we don't like to look at. And many people try to forget what they see so they walk away. And what they saw doesn't impact their attitudes and conduct. But what scares us and convicts us ought to drive us to the arms of the Savior. It ought to drive us to Jesus. And the purpose behind exposing our imperfections in the Word is to throw light on the darkness that we need to face in our lives. Areas we need to grow in sanctification. And growth in Christ's likeness is painful at times. But we must press through the pain, persevere. In verse 25, we want to be a reality. We want to become not a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts and will be blessed. Blessed, happy, satisfied with having a greater reflection of Jesus Christ. The purpose for which the book is written. Another God-glorifying, saint-satisfied purpose of the book. The Bible, it's like a hammer. It's like a great hammer. The Lord directly says in the book of Jeremiah chapter number 23 and verse 20, 29, He says, It's not My word like a fire, declares the Word, and like a hammer that breaks the rock into pieces. God's Word is a hammer tearing down the old, building up the new. It's a hammer used by the Holy Spirit in the construction of Christ-like character in your life and in mine. It's like a hammer. It does not matter if you're being torn down or built up. The strike and the blow of the hammer still hurts. It doesn't feel good. But it's under the strong and loving blows of the Word of God. Who is for his child and not against them? Never forget that. Never forget that. The Bible, also, you can deduce from that same verse that I read. It's not only like a hammer, but it's like a raging fire. It's like a fire that burns. It's Jeremiah. Uh, the word uses the word burns. It, it burns like a yard in late winter. What happens when you burn that yard in late winter? It'll come back what? Pretty and green. Weeds and pests perhaps have been eroded. It's nothing but another word picture of how the Word purifies us. How the Word burns out of our lives the things that have no place there. The things that mar The beauty and the image and the likeness of Christ burns away. But it also is a fire that burns inside of you as well. There is a fire that burns inside with a passion and a hunger for more of Jesus. And it's used by the Holy Spirit To open our eyes so that we can recognize more of the beauty of Jesus Christ. That is an awesome thing. Do you remember what happened on the Emmaus Road? Do you remember what the text says in Luke's Gospel, chapter number 24, verse number 31 and 32? I'll read it to you. It says, then their eyes were opened, and they knew Him. Knew who? Knew Jesus. And He vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while He talked with us on the road? And while it wasn't just He was with Him, but while He opened the Scriptures to us. Burned with inside. I pray that you have that burning with inside of you. Holy Spirit ignited burning. You open the Word of God. And He opens your eyes more to Jesus. And His heart burns within you because you are overwhelmed with the all-consuming satisfaction and superior beauty of the Savior, Jesus, who is Christ. Oh, I pray that that is your experience for the glory of God. We could back out of our text and look at some more things, but we're not going to do that this morning. I just simply wanted you to communicate to you in the context of the wording of 2 Timothy chapter 3:14 through 17 simply wanted you to see the Bible is written with a God-centered purpose that leads to having a Gospel-centered purpose which leads to, when you understand the impact of the Gospel from justification, sanctification, to glorification, the Bible works in producing God-glorifying conduct which is satisfying in our lives. So again, I challenge you Do not neglect the book. Do not wait till Sunday morning worship and the Word to open the book. Your life, your sanctifying life depends on it. Don't neglect the book. But read it. Read it as a guide to the heart of Jesus Christ. Read it not to know information. Read it not to check off your Bible reading chart so that at the end of the year you can say, oh, yay me, I read the Bible in the year. Big whoop de doo If it doesn't lead to a greater love of Jesus, reading the Bible in a year is useless. Do not neglect the book, but read it to worship Jesus who is Christ. Jesus who is the way, the truth, the life. Jesus, like my daughter sang about this morning. Jesus, for there's no other name given under men, under heaven, by which they must be saved. Jesus, let the book lead you to Jesus who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. For there's no other name, no greater name for every name in heaven and on earth and even in hell will bow and confess with their mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Thus says the sacred writings we call the Bible. Now, this morning, we've come to the time for you to respond to God's Word. And I'm going to ask Gary to come and my wife to go to the piano. And Gary is going to lead us in a hymn of response. And you respond to God's Word. Perhaps we need to begin a Gospel conversation because you are concerned over the state of your soul. I would be glad to do that. Or perhaps this morning, there's some other prayer need that is on your heart and you would like to be praying with other believers. Feel free to do that this moment. Perhaps you're a believer and the Spirit of the Lord has come upon you with conviction. And simply where you are, you need to repent and do business with God. Or maybe you're here this morning and the Spirit of God is saying to you, this is the family of faith where you need to be involved in church. And maybe He's leading you to become a part of this family of faith. I don't know what God is saying to you. I will not pretend to know. But you are responsible for what He's speaking to you individually. I pray you respond. I pray that you respond rightly. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet.